0: Welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a podcast dedicated to interviewing some of the industry's brightest minds. We will feature discussions from a wide range of subject matter experts about their careers, industry trends, and what the future holds. Hi, welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked. Today, my guest is Magda Shelley. She is a cyber entrepreneur and a big advocate for women in cyber. She set up her own company in 2016, Responsible Cyber. She went on to acquire another company in 2020. She provides tailored security solutions to blue chip customers, to startups. She has also worked as chief information security officer for various different organizations throughout AsiaPAC. And she is also cyber risk lead for Marsh, uh, for APAC. Hi. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Efian. Thank you very much for the introduction and for having me today. I'm very good. Thank you.
0: We almost, yeah, we got there finally. I'm sorry about that.
1: (laughs) No, no worries.
0: (laughs) So I've been sort of kicking off like asking what everybody's been doing over the last three or four months, but I sort of follow you on LinkedIn. So I know exactly what you've been doing. Um, Magda is hacking. Discuss. What have you been doing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, hacking has been a passion for me since a while, but I'm not a professional hacker and far from that. So when we went into uh, Circuit Breaker, I just said, why not just work on that a little bit more and take Mm -hmm. this opportunity to learn additional skills. So um, and especially share that with the world so more women actually get into write-ups and writing about their technical skills, which is not that popular. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to do it before because I think I did also need another woman to take the first step. And there was actually one uh, woman that is excellent in cyber security. Her name is Rana Khalil, and she is the one who inspired me to write those uh, walkthroughs. So I'm following the path and hopefully more are doing the same.
0: Awesome. Did you um, you you actually got involved in um, development before, haven't you, or sort of software engineering, programming? Didn't you sort of start out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I, I when I was younger, long mm. time ago, uh, within my studies, I had programming that was part of my studies as an engineer. Telecommunication yeah. engineering included everything from understanding the network infrastructure architecture but as well programming and building web applications so i have done java i have done matlab i have been doing c plus plus c sharp will i do that now today oh Mm. you know it's i don't remember everything but for example i still do html php and python now with the hacking so for sure that i remember
0: (laughs) yeah okay cool and how has, how has 2020 been for you so far? I mean, obviously, been a challenging year for most, but as a business owner, um, yeah, I mean, how has it been for you so far?
1: So, it's very interesting how, you know, a crisis might create additional opportunities. So, first of all, 2020 has been really a year of changes and things are um, actually really interesting um, flip-flops for the business, for my career, whatever I'm doing. So first of all, Responsible Cyber has been really growing, and I'm really proud of that. We have acquired another company. That company wasn't a big one, but it was a startup that I had been involved with previously. But what that helped is to build a one Uh, All-in-one solution for startups with the platform that Responsible Cyber is building. And now my co-founder, Mikko Laksonen, is working on that. And it feels like really amazing growth. Uh, And as part of this acquisition, we as well announced that we have NUS Enterprise and Syncton Innovate as our shareholders Mm -hmm. within the company. So not only it brings credibility, but as well help us to grow within an ecosystem that has much more, I would say, solid roots in especially Asia Pacific as such.
0: Yeah. OK, awesome. And what, what's been the kind of uh, busiest um, area you know, within all of, this, sort of the solutions that you provide? What's been sort of really hot this, this year?
1: I would say, and this brings me to the other um, things or important points that in my career that have a little bit changed the path that I'm taking nowadays. Uh, so what happened is that um, I got the opportunity to work for Marsh Asia as their cyber risk leader for the region. Yeah. And what that helps me to do is basically rebuild the business for Asia and understand the blue chip company's requirement around their cyber risk. Mm. So... To answer your question, what I have seen that is really changing is the fact that currently companies are their risk profile is comple- completely shifting towards mm. a new risk profile, with the fact that they do not have more um, the traditional perimeter. Their employees are working from everywhere. Yeah. And therefore, they cannot apply the traditional security controls. They need to change their approach. They need to adapt. And this has been extremely interesting to see how, especially how it is adopted by security professionals as well.
0: Right. So perimeter security has been really hot because obviously everybody's working remotely from home and nobody's in the office where you've got the same kind of controls.
1: I would say non perimeter, yes, security. So forgetting about the corporate network only. Uh, And one thing that I have been as well uh, discussing, and this this has been part of my RSA talk uh, this year, is the fact that when we are talking about, you know, this particular crisis or the COVID-19, mm. we see situations or scenarios that were not particularly taken in consideration before. Let me take you and uh, give you an example. For ex- if an employee is in, a, I would say, a quarant- quarantine place mm-hmm. in, within a hotel, Some hotels' networks do not allow even VPN to work, and that will raise some technical issues. Mm. And that means that your traditional controls will not be as efficient efficient as before.
0: Right, okay. Is that something you presented on uh, RSA? Yes. Uh, Okay. Yeah, so you're a member of the, uh, you're an ambassador. Yes,
1: I am. I am the ambassador of uh, RSA Asia Pacific. It has been since, I think, 2018 now.
0: Okay, awesome. And the, any and the other kind of organizations you're associated with?
1: Um, I actually started working a little bit closer uh, this year with Black Hat, in which I'm really, really excited about it. So I am the advisory member for the Executive Summit, which oh, okay. is still happening, even though it was supposed to be already happening in March, but it's happening in, now, I think, in October or September, and it will be virtual.
0: Yeah, what have they been like? Because I'd imagine that it's they're not able to have the same kind of impact on on Zoom. But I mean, yeah, what what has that been like so far?
1: Um, I think, you know, definitely there is a very big impact of all the conferences around the world and events Mm. in cybersecurity or beyond cybersecurity. Um, Not only you cannot have the event in the physical space, but that, of course, means that you are not able to get the same sponsors And especially for conferences who have fees, those fees have been reduced tremendously. So the business model needs to change. And that's what they have been doing, adapting to a new situation with recreating or reinventing themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would really like to talk about that a little bit later because I'm I'm really fascinated on on how you got involved with keynote speaking. But um, if it's okay, just to kind of wind back a little bit, how did you just give us a brief of your sort of career summary so far and how you got to where you are today?
1: Oh, sure. So as I mentioned, I'm a telecommunication engineer and basically had those studies and a PhD in the field thinking that eventually I might continue my career as such. But very quickly, when I was doing my PhD, I was already fascinating by, fascinated by um, hacking, just <clears throat> hacking. And I was doing it literally just as a pastime, nothing major, just playing around, trying to play with hotmail emails and trying to crack them. Uh, Then I literally didn't pay attention to anything else because no one was recruiting at that time in cybersecurity. Everyone was pushing me into IT consultancy, not cybersecurity. And because of my background, IT consultancy, telecommunication, CRM, that was the best fit, plus the fact that I had really good communication skills. So companies tended to literally check me in some boxes and put me into a particular role, which was pre-sales, sales, sales, and technical Hmm. sometimes. So more like an advisor to the client rather than a consultant as such doing the job only Hmm. because of my communication skills again. So after several jobs and changing into careers, I was like looking at what I am really good at and especially what could allow me to still use all the technical stuff that I learned. Mm. I mean, why would you do, you know, a PhD in telecommunication engineering if you never use it? It doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was really lucky that I think, you know, the environment changed so quickly and so much that people started being interested in cybersecurity more and more. Mm. And that field or the field of cybersecurity is the perfect environment where I feel I can use my technical knowledge, expand it, even improve it, and then use my communication skills, which is a very important gap in our industry, and then link them together to make a real impact.
0: Yeah. So that was the sort of the foundation. And then you sort of pivoted into security from there. So, what year was that? How how far back are we talking?
1: So, we're not talking very, very far. I mean, in 2015, I was still working with a telecommunication company. Before that, I was working risks in France in IT advisory. So, again, if we look at my career, it wasn't linear. It was hoping from one area to another what i really like as well in that sense from that perspective it brought me from let's say take an example from understanding the security in a financial industry and that was in 2007 or Mm. sorry no 2010 i think then or 11 and then from there i had pivoted a little bit more to some pre-sales as i mentioned and then i pivoted again to technical um role or a little bit with more pre-sale aspect in the telecommunication industry again and that was with uh, in Qatar when I where I spent two years there wasn't a very big focus on security but what was really interesting is I needed to build enterprise products that included some security areas as part of that was for example IPsec, VPN etc so there was really interesting areas and again touching on various various perspectives risk uh, technical security, technical requirements, for example, with the financial firm uh, of how you need to build securely a CRM system to, you know, like I said, a telecommunication product for multinational companies or big, just big companies situated or located in the Middle East. Mm. So, again, if we look at the traditional cybersecurity background, I'm far from that. Mm. I've touched on different areas, non-traditional career paths. Uh, different kind of learning paths as well, different kind of involvements. Um, I do not like to bring a lot of, you know, mentioning about my experiences in sales because people then tend to think that, oh, so basically you're not technical, mm. uh, and that's what companies try to push me into. Well, no, I have my technical background, and that, and mm. my technical skills are also today very clear to everyone who I'm advising to. Mm. So, since 2015. I started only doing advisory. So even if I do business development, I try to make it really more like a consultancy advisory in the field, showing up of how it can really add them value rather than just selling some products or services.
0: Hmm. Okay, cool. That's that's really interesting. And with um, the, especially you know in times that we're in now, where. There's a lot of people being made redundant and a lot of people in the industry as well have always got these kind of um, ideas in the mind about, you know, setting up their own company or, you know, want to break off. And, you know, and often it's times like these we're in, that we're in now that they only kind of build up the courage to do it. So I'm really interested to understand how you kind of got started with Responsible Cyber. What was it that kind of, yeah, what was the light bulb moment you think, actually, this is something I could do?
1: I think, first of all, it's really important to understand that um, when you build a company, you need to have a particular, uh, in my view, character, personality. Because it's very different from being an employee. I always had the entrepreneurship uh, kind of uh, goal or aspiration. It was always there. And I'm a risk taker as well. So when you are an employee, you know that at the end of every month, someone is going to pay you. If you start and build a business, you know that at the end of the month, you might not receive any money. And not because you don't have business, but because clients do not pay on time sometimes. So it's a very different approach. And also it requires certain maturity, a certain understanding of what would be the challenges raising a business. We see, and at least I have seen, a lot of very experienced professionals in certain industries going on their own and thinking that when they start the business, everyone will go and ask them for, to work with them. Well, the reality is different because when it comes to sign a contract and pay money, people change. And especially change because big companies, for example, is a, who are you? You're a one-person company. Mm. The risks associated working with you are much higher than the risks associated working with a very big service provider. So the perceptions are very different. And again... Reality is different. It's not because you have a very strong background as a professional that it will work as an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur. So starting a business, I would say, made me learn and acknowledge a lot of things, especially in a market that where I wasn't so known. I came from Europe, from the Middle East. No one knew me that much in Asia Pacific. So I needed to build my brand. I needed to build my credibility. And people question, ask, where are you coming from? What do you actually really know? And why should we trust a new brand or a new business that just was found in this country? So it requires a lot of patience. It requires as well, again, when you build a business, it's all about building the trust with your customers. So you need to ensure that. And as much as it takes time to build the trust, ruining the trust takes one day or one second, like in some, some you know, very popular saying. So the most important is that, uh, ensuring that you understand that it's not an easy or smooth path, it doesn't happen overnight, and whatever others within your network told you, when you were an employee, might not work anymore when you're a business owner.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen it uh, quite a few times just in my sort of short career in recruiting in cyber, some seriously talented people that go off and set up their own company and for whatever reason it doesn't quite sort of take off because they're just missing sort of key fundamentals whether that be i think you like touched on it earlier you know you know sending out invoices and getting you know getting payment and making sure that you know the business the lights are still going to be on at the end of the month so what are the absolute kind of like fundamentals you meant you've touched on yeah you know understanding your customer and building your brand um yeah what are the other sort of key fundamentals that you that you maybe needed to work on as well
1: I mean, going again from being an employee to being an entrepreneur and a business owner is a very different journey. Mm -hmm. Building a business is a very different journey. So I think the fundamentals is to understand what does a business mean. A business is creating value to your customers so they are happy to pay for that value and you generate profit. So having that understanding means that you as well have a proper business plan and you know, you acknowledge that if you don't have customers paying you, you don't have a business. Hmm. And that, again, happens, the perception of time, the perception of what is a priority needs to to be adapted for someone who's going out there. What I have seen a lot of times is employees going into uh, entrepreneurship journey and then you know they don't chase the customers mm. because they don't know that they need to chase them they don't send invoice on time like you mentioned, so how are you able to have a business if you don't don't generate revenue mm. that's a hobby that's not a business yeah so and again when i when I even mentor and this is what i'm building I'm bringing the second very very important point is when I work on some uh, like me- I, when I mentor sorry or when I work with some Particular companies into building their business. I very clearly say that you need to have a focus and you need to understand what's your priority. If you don't have those, then you go into a mode where I'm doing things, but I'm not being productive for my business again. Mm, yeah. And always coming back to the fundamentals, you need to generate revenue.
0: Yeah.
1: When you are small, you need as well to deliver. So you only are able to learn that if you have the right mentorship and basically people who have already succeeded doing a business. And that's my point. So if anyone who is watching us or listening, you know, is planning into entrepreneur journey, it's very important to surround yourself by people who have done it before so you can learn what are those priorities, what are those challenges and how to ensure that you don't do the same mistakes again and again.
0: Yeah. So surrounding yourself with good mentors. Yeah. How many um, mentors do you have or can you count them?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't have that many. I do have a network of uh, very experienced and professionals from different industries that I'm surrounded. Perhaps maybe like, you know, five, Okay. At maximum, yeah. where I actually reach out to on depending of what exactly I would like to discuss with them. Mm-hmm. I have mentors who are CISOs just where I actually, uh, you know, need their support when I am on a very complex cybersecurity project. I have mentors who are helping me in the building of the business and trying just to get their feedback on how I can launch successfully a new product, for example.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's really good advice. A lot of people uh, tell me that about mentors as well. It's really good to have mentors, even if you, you know, not going to be an entrepreneur, if you, you know, steering your career in a certain direction, it's good to surround yourself with uh, yeah wise minds. Is there anything that you would do differently, you know, from setting up, I'm mean, sure there probably is, but setting up your own company, there's always going to be sort of speed bumps along the way. Is there anything that you would do differently?
1: Yes, um, definitely. We learn always from our mistakes, for sure. And when you launch a business, um, again, there are challenges. And sometimes you get, even if it's not your first experience, you tend to be very positive about opportunities. So... Mm you might waste time on opportunities that are not well qualified and therefore do not lead to revenue. And that's what I would change. I would ensure that my qualification process for leads or opportunities in terms of sales or partnerships are much better qualified. And therefore, I don't waste time talking with a client for five hours if I know that, for example, they are never going to be a client. Yeah. So it's just, taking a few uh, free advisory. The same with partnership, especially if the more you build a strong brand, the more you receive requests for partnerships. But are they real? Are Mm. they bringing you something where it is a win-win situation or are they just like, you know, getting or using your brand? That's a very good question as well to ask yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Trying to piggyback off of your success, you want to make sure it's going to be mutually beneficial. Exactly. Yeah in within you know sort of responsible cyber at the moment, you mentioned uh, well, I know that you consult and advise you know blue chip customers and, and startups. Is there any kind of uh, approach that you make to, you know what are the discernible differences between you know your you know the consulting work that you do between big companies and small companies?
1: I think it's a really interesting uh, question, and what happened with Responsible Cyber is that since we founded, I started doing the, the advisory for multinational companies and across Asia-Pacific, and most of the time is when the multinational didn't have a presence in Asia-Pacific, so they needed someone to help roll out the program in Asia-Pacific, help them to ensure that there is alignment with the Cybersecurity Global Program, etc., especially with a fragmented market, as we know, in, in Asia-Pacific. But what we have realized with the company is that there is an untapped market, and the untapped market is for small and medium businesses and business owners who do not have neither the knowledge, neither the budget to go on to a very high level. Advisory, mm-hmm. And that's where the company is currently focusing on small and medium businesses, building a cloud-based platform, which provides all-in-one cybersecurity services for those companies. So that's what I found out was the most efficient for SMEs. Cost-effective, user-friendly, no jargon, just a cloud-based mm-hmm. uh, you know, platform. With a few click, clicks, they can get the basics and understand what they need to do for their business. When it comes to multinational companies, as as my company was really small, I actually took a new challenge, which I find extremely exciting for me from a career perspective. So I I took the opportunity to to help build the business for Asia for Marsh. And I'm actually, as I mentioned, the head of risk consulting. What does it mean? It means actually that I am advising and working with very big companies on to risk, cyber risk quantification in particular. So, again, why I say that's very interesting for my career is because we're going into a very different aspect of cybersecurity. We're not talking about the simple areas of, oh, I need some tools or I need some processes. We are talking about ensuring that the Global Chief Information Security Officer has a very clear understanding of cyber loss scenarios, financial losses that might relate to that, and how that can be reported to the board for a very clear and transparent uh, you know, um, pre-authorization of initiatives or decision-making in that space. So I find it extremely valuable. And therefore, I'm trying really to, would say, position myself within that and position especially Marsh Asia within that area.
0: Mm. Do you, Are there any kind of project that you particularly enjoy? Do you enjoy working with the startups or do you get a buzz out of, you know, working with the big multinational corporations?
1: It's a good question. I think I, I think I found both interesting and intellectually stimulating uh, but I love la- the SMEs for the platform. It's supposed to be automated. Uh, my co-founder is re- leading it. For me, what I find really, again, intellectually challenging or intellectually stimulating is to working with the multinational companies, having an extensive cybersecurity team, for example, and lacking this, I would say, link between cybersecurity business and their board and giving them the right tool to ensure that, gap closure that is for me very very useful and Mm. yeah added value for them as well
0: okay okay cool right keynote speaking something I'm really keen to talk to you about because it seems like I mean I am well I'm obviously a layman when it comes to security but there's quite a few events that I've been to and you're usually kind of one of the keynote speakers so I'm keen to know like how did you get started in, in keynote speaking first of all
1: I honestly don't remember exactly the date, but I I think I haven't ever said this publicly, but I was, when I was still much younger, when I was living in Europe, I was doing some, you know, um, not webinars, I was like just trying to be a figurant or like just in some strange random TV shows. And, And I think that helped me a lot in my online presence because I did not have the same challenges in face of camera or with a more wide audience hmm. so again this is something that I haven't really talked about publicly but it did help me I did also take um, some of the theater classes so ah, you okay. know this kind of things you don't see very often within the security industry at all uh, and I think it's important because hmm. you learn things that no one else in the industry perhaps did it or right. I don't know I haven't heard a lot of security professionals doing uh, theater classes or taking theater classes I definitely think of
0: anybody <laughs> I, d- I don't think I can think of anybody but that explains a lot actually because when I've heard you talk uh, and you're on stage and you've got the mic you l- you just look so natural and it's yeah I was always been you know quite impressed with it so I was and I know you know did you were you nervous the first time you did it or did it just yeah of- it just like a, a duck Walter. water
1: I mean of course you are nervous you still can be uh, I feel that for me, they are two um, different aspects. So, if I think about it too much before going on stage, mm. if especially if I if I suddenly realize that the audience wasn't 200 but is 1,200, mm. then that makes a huge difference. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Like get
0: your heart racing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It does. But then I need you know to forget that. I don't yeah. think about oh there are so many people listening to me. I think about sharing with them a story that will be relevant for them and making sure that I can engage with them and when I forget about that as I mentioned that particular aspect that oh there are so many people in the audience that actually removes the stress and make it very very different the same with the camera I don't think about the camera I think about the discussion that I'm having with the person that I'm talking to
0: Mm. there's lots I could learn from you I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give to somebody that is interested in getting involved in keynote speaking? Somebody that doesn't come natural, maybe a little bit introverted, but, very, you know, equally very passionate about the industry, but would like to kind of help, you know, spread the good word.
1: Well, I think...
0: Take acting classes. Yes,
1: <laughs> take acting classes. You stage. <laughs> it helps. It helps because you learn techniques. Yeah. It's everything is about... Okay, there's talent. You might have certain talent and skills that doesn't require you to really practice that much. Mm. But most of the time, it's not only about talent, it's about practice. Yeah. So when you can learn certain things, and I think acting classes can help.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I didn't think we'd come on to acting in this discussion, but it's good. Um, do you think that keynote speaking can be an advantage or a disadvantage? I know that can seem like an obvious advantage, but what What's your sort of take on it
1: I think various um, professionals or a variety of in general opinions around that in our industry bring the public you know public visibility over social media as a negative point because it increases your attack surface of course if you're online mm. you know basically people can record your voice etc cetera, etc cetera. you're exposing yourself somehow but i do think that there is a balance you know that you can achieve depends of what you want to talk about as well i mean if you're going on to uh, raising awareness about cyber security having educational talks i think that's all beneficial you will not go on to publicly to discuss the security of your, cl- of your company or yeah. your clients. That will raise exposure. Yeah. But always having that possibility to educate more, it's only beneficial to an yeah. industry, especially that has issues with telecommunication, with communication, sorry, not telecommunication. <laughs>
0: Yeah no it's it's a good point raised. I think it there's from my experience in in recruiting and speaking to people that are, have reached a certain level um in their career and they just can't make that jump from SVP to MD or you know VP to ED that and I think a lot of those blockers and impediments are usually around you know the ability to communicate and communicate with the business and you know get those sponsors and selling yourself and marketing yourself you know within you know within the company. But it's something that's you know clearly you know you're a bit of a natural so <laughs> Another question I was really keen to ask you because uh, there is—it's obviously—it's obvious there's a, a severe lack of women in cybersecurity. Why? Why do you think there's not that many female CISOs?
1: I think your question is extremely relevant and interesting because usually the questions that I get are why we don't have a lot of women in cyber. But you pointed out something that is even, a, I would say, a harder or a rough truth. There are not many women CISOs and I think the the reality is that we have a lot of female professionals within the middle management and they have a harder time to step into the next level and I have done a poll for that because I had a very interesting discussion with one female CEO a few months ago and she told me perhaps they don't want to. Did you actually ask? And I think this is also very important is There's one point that we forget. Ask the right people what they want to really do. So I have done a poll on Twitter and asked just female professionals in the industry, would you like to become a CISO? And of course, I'm a very ambitious person. So I thought everyone would say, yes, of course. Well, Mm. no, the reality was it was 50-50. Really? Yeah, 50-50.
0: That is surprising.
1: However, yes. It's it is surprising, but what is the most important is why it was 50/50 and what was the answer? Follow all the com- what were the comments from the female um, professionals? They were addressing challenges around the role, politically exposed role, where there's not perhaps many much more uh, inclusion or other challenges related to that particular again. Responsibility that comes with the role. And in my view, that is also a problem why we do not have enough. Not only the fact that the role in, as such might be politically exposed, you know, politics within the company, of course, mm, within the yeah. corporate. They were all bringing one point, that they want to do something that really helps the company. And they felt that becoming a CISO because of the political aspect of the role might not help them to do that. And in my view, this is only related because, yes, if you are in that particular role, and let's say you are a female professional, you go to a board meeting or you go to a meeting where it's all male dominated, if you say something, how many of them will actually acknowledge and say it's a great idea? biggest leaders, female leaders in the world say that if you are the only one mentioning an idea or saying an opinion in a boardroom full of male professionals, you will be actually just ignored. So there's a lot of work in that and it's all about ensuring that if you move into a leadership position, no matter if it's a CISO or CEO or with a board, that you get the right support and you are treated the same way than anyone else within that particular group. But that means that you will need mentorship, you will need a certain way of ensuring that you are successful as a leader. And I think that's, that's the part that we're missing.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So on the, on the rise to a CISO or a CTO, or whatever kind of role it is, it's important to acquire sponsors on the way up so that when you are in that boardroom, you've got, you know, four or five people that will back you to the hilt, you know, on your ideas or maybe kind of give them a heads up on an idea and we'll think about presenting this in, in this board meeting. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. That is the key success. Uh, and I have experienced it myself, you know, um, being in a meeting and, the first time when I have experienced it, I'm like, oh, that's a proof that, this, that the statistics are real and the re- return on experience is real. The second time and the subsequent times, I always had someone who will back me up until the, t- the moment where I didn't need anymore anyone to back me up. And then there was like just natural. The people already got used to me saying or mentioning an idea and they just acknowledge that they understand it and think that there it is a good idea. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, having the supporters within the, the particular group is extremely important. So not only mentorship for a female uh, professional, but again, for a male professional as well. Yeah. But especially when you move to ensure that you have someone who's helping you and bringing that credibility again and keeping to ensuring that you can succeed.
0: Mm. What, what do you think that companies could do better to ensure that you know women are getting the chance to move into kind of a leadership role? Do you think they're doing enough?
1: No, I don't, don't, don't think they're doing that. It's, yeah. um, we have certain programs, of course, that encourage women leadership and they bring them on. But it's not only about bringing them in or you know, ensuring that you have a certain number of female professionals within a particular position. It's about ensuring their success within that position. And I am a believer, and this is very like uh, controversial for certain people, that you need to enforce certain things to make a change happen quicker. We see a positive change within the industry, in general, around the world. We see more female professionals, CEOs, leaders, you know, uh, CISOs. But I do not think that this change is quick enough. So I am... I am actually encouraging having a certain percentage as, a you know, enforcing that. So you need to have a certain percentage of, for example, a female on your boards, but not without a program that will ensure the success of those females. So in France, for example, we have a law that requires a certain percentage of female on the boards. And what has been actually the negative side of having a law like that is that some of the boards they just bring the females without the right competent, competence or without the right training. And therefore, that is like a suicide, basically. It's, it's subject to failure immediately because they would not have the right, you know, qualification, the right uh, support, the right training, the right mentorship. So if you want to make a change... One cannot go without the other. Yes, have a program that encourage women leadership, but have a program that actually helps them succeed in their leadership position.
0: Yeah. So like a a mid, yeah, sort of a short, mid and long-term plan, like the the infrastructure around them to make sure that they are gonna be successful and checking points. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, it's really interesting to get your uh, insights into that I knew you'd be a good person to ask about that. Um, In terms of, for the rest of this year then, 2020, obviously it's a challenging time for, for a lot of people. What's your, you know, as a business owner, what's your sort of strategy for, for the rest of this year?
1: Well, I think we, the current uh, challenging environment, uh, there are a lot of opportunities around cybersecurity in general. So because of what we mentioned before and the changing risk profile of the companies, there are new emerging risks. So the demand around cybersecurity is growing tremendously not only from the SME perspective where, for example, in Singapore, the companies have been forced to go into digital transformation, but as well from the fact that the multinationals do not have anymore the traditional perimeter and they need to go beyond their comfort zone and just address the new risks from a different perspective. Mm. And I do think that what is extremely interesting for me is understanding this new emerging risk but through uh, scenarios that are relevant not only to the security professionals but as well to the business stakeholders mm-hmm. so for me again every crisis comes with opportunities mm-hmm. like we have seen with the financial crisis we have big companies that raised with them that time i would say now it's a crisis there are opportunities and you just need to take advantage of those
0: That is a very refreshing uh, outlook. I like it. I like it. And what about sort of uh, training? Are you going to be doing any more developing your skills, certifications?
1: Oh, for sure. I'm a a strong believer that you need to learn all the time. If not, you know, you die, basically, Mm, intellectually. mm. And you just, what's the point? We need to learn. And technology is changing so quickly. It never ends. So for sure. Uh, but I'm keeping that, you know. I, I spoke about it on online when I. Uh, and I speak about it online in general when I plan a certification. But I actually, because of my very, very busy uh, schedule, I try now to avoid saying that I'm doing something because I also need to be accountable mm. for that. So for the audience, for myself, so there, are, there is more that is coming, but that would be a surprise.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I like it. Leaving a bit of intrigue. And are you doing any more keynote speaking between now and the end of the year?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, so, um probably there's actually some very big and interesting conference that is coming in september september october in europe and i will be part of a, of a panel that will be super super interesting by the way with um extremely high profiles not only within the private sector but as well from the public sector
0: oh nice okay well you have to yeah let me know i look forward to that Great. Well, thank you so much for coming down. It's, great. it's always great catching up with you. You're a very inspiring individual. And good luck for the rest of this year and uh, beyond.
1: Thank you so much, Evan, for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: No worries. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cybersecurity Unlocked is also available on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to get the latest updates.